As always, please note that the views expressed by our guests during this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our podcast or of the Mission Steiger that we represent. Hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Today, we will be playing part two of our two-part conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin. Uh, we're talking about her book, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. In the second part, we dig into some of the tough questions regarding sexuality and the Christian ethic. Rebecca tackles this topic with great wisdom and intellectual understanding, but also with love. Uh, and I promise you are going to be provoked and inspired by what she has to say. Just a reminder that this podcast is part of a larger missions organization called Steiger International. Our heart is to reach the global youth culture, which essentially means young people who are not coming to the church looking for answers. Uh, and we do this by establishing city teams and urban centers all over the world who do ongoing evangelism and discipleship to the global youth culture. Uh, we really want you to consider being involved. And there's many ways that you can do that. If you go to steiger.org, S-T-E-I-G-E-R.org, uh, you can find out all of the different ways that you can connect with us. You can pray, you can give, you can go. Uh, but we just really want you to be plugged into the the heartbeat of this podcast, uh, which is the larger mission that we're a part of. Also, consider leaving a rating and review of this podcast on iTunes or elsewhere, uh, and especially the way in which this podcast may have encouraged you in your faith. Um, we love to hear stories of the way God might be using this in your life. Uh, and if you'd be willing to share that in a review, uh, that not only encourages other people, but us as well. And we'd be very, very grateful. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy part two of our conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin. You know, Rebecca, that is such a strong, powerful, like biblically based response to so much that we're hearing right now. And it's re really cool, really refreshing to hear. And I think one of the things that you're saying there that has um, that's made me think is the comparison you were making there of how things looked um, at the time of slavery and how um, we, you know, so much of society wasn't as Christian as it thought it was. And and how, when I hear you talking about marriage in that way, it makes me think, yeah, we've, we've way like kind of undersold or under communicated what what the Bible really says about marriage and about relationships and about love and and how much, um, I guess that's the point you're making, how much what we're seeing around us in society is because we're not communicating loud and clear what it's really about. And if, if people could grasp um, what who Jesus is and the impact that having him at the center can have on our lives, then that's the best apologetics we could have. So just, I guess, just appreciating what you're saying and just... Yeah, realizing that that that's yeah, we've undersold it. <laughs> what what it is that, that the Bible really says about marriage and relationships, and yeah, and just to, to make a US UK comparison, as I'm talking to another Brit for a moment here, <laughs> one of the transitions I had to make moving from England to America was in England. People don't really tell their friends that they love. I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's just me. It's far. I've been very close to people for a long time in the UK, and never like we've never used that language in each other. Hmm. I moved to the US, and people use it quite a lot. And at first, I kind of felt a bit like Ooh, culturally awkward, and I'd be like, "Do you really love me? I don't know. We don't even know each other that well. Why are you telling me you love me? That's a bit of a, oof, a bit of a big word." 
Now, for sure, it can be used uh, when it shouldn't have been. Um, but, but now I actually think it's a lot closer to what the Bible is calling us to. And I love that my close Christian friends tell me that they love me. And, mm. and I tell them the same as well. Because we really should. Like, it shouldn't be something that we sort of feel a little bit awkward about. It should be something that we feel deeply and express even physically. I think it's five times in the New Testament we're called to greet one another with a holy kiss. Mm. And that, that's actually really awkward in America. My kids growing up in America, they're like horrified by the fact that in the UK, people sort of kiss, kiss each other socially. Like, you might kiss your friend on the cheek. Like, it's sort of a normal thing to do. In America, they're like, ah, really weird. Um, so I think these things can be culturally translated for sure. True. But actually to... To physically, you know, to a warm hug with a dear friend who you who you truly love, that should be a normal part of Christian experience. See, I grew up in Brazil, so I so I, I'm not so British as you think. So that's why I'm like, yes, I'm totally into that. I get like I grew up in churches where that was love was shown like that. But that's like just interesting. That really reflects what you were saying before about Christianity in the majority world being being such you know so predominant and and so there's so much still like the family orientated cultures where it's more normal to express love like that understand i guess the christian perspective um, on love and relationships yeah when we're in when we're in south america you know there, you always express affection by kissing on one cheek or both cheeks yeah. which is uh i really like that but one time i actually moved too quickly and i this grandma kissed me right on the lips <laughs> and um it happens yeah it can happen and i didn't know whether to just act natural or to act you know I just kind of acted like it was what I intended, but I don't know if that was good. <laughs> My husband's yeah. from Oklahoma, and uh, the first time we visited, I, I visited his family. I said, I I'd like to go to a black church, please. Um, and so we connected with some friends who, who went to a local black church, and we, we went along together. And my husband said afterwards that he had got more hugs in an hour in that black church yeah. than he had got in the previous five years in England. Crazy. Isn't that, isn't again, to the whole diversity thing, isn't that what's so beautiful about a true understanding of Jesus is that different cultures reflect different aspects of who God is. And when we can really appreciate that, it paints this far more accurate picture and, and a pro far more exciting picture of what a truly restored world and, and, and you know, what it's going to be like, because we're not, it's not tied together ultimately to a culture, but it's, it weaves itself through all cultures imperfectly for sure. But I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think that one of the things I really appreciate about um, knowing people who grew up in very different places and um, which I'm blessed where I live, it's, it's lots of immigrants like me um, from all sorts of different places. And so I get to, even in our, our weekly community group, I get to study the Bible with people who grew up in Africa or people who grew up in um, under communism in various parts of Europe or people who grew up in South America and I think what's really helpful is it helps you see the the cultural frameworks that you have brought to the Bible yourself. And and all of us do that. So it's not like there's anything wrong with bringing your own cultural framework to the Bible. It's like, there's no other way we can exist. Right. But it, it's really helpful when we hear somebody else's perspective. And we're like, oh, I'm so, like, now see that in a in a new and more nuanced way. And especially, actually, if we're interacting with people who's uh, culture of origin is is in any way kind of closer to ancient Near Eastern culture, for example. Um, then we can get insights uh, as we read the scriptures because they just may see things in, in a way that it's I, with my very kind of 21st century, uh, highly Western privileged upbringing, uh, I'm often going to miss things. 
Hmm. It's not to say, I mean, I think the, the whole uh, kind of debate about um, postmodernism and um, whether all truth is sort of culturally relative, um, that Christians have rightly pushed back on that and said, actually, no, we're, we're talking about Jesus Christ makes universal claims that are true wherever you are, whatever time you're in and you know whatever culture you, you exist with. And I think it's absolutely true. I think we need to hold on to that tightly. At the same time, I think we need to recognize the sort of positive insights of, of postmodernism, which has said, you probably come to the text with your own pair of glasses or spectacles. And it's worth recognizing that and kind of looking at them and thinking, oh, these are, these are my spectacles. And, and actually looking for other people's spectacles might help me understand this timeless universal text a little bit better. I, I don't know what spectacles are, but I don't think I wear those. <laughs> yeah, s- spectacles are not, it's, that's not quite a universal term, but... but Ironically, the spectacles betrayed a little bit of your cultural bias. But anyway, <laughs> but the, the point was well taken and, and appreciated. Um, Speaking of spectacles, go, Chad. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a, a question, if I may. While I'm I'm letting the I'm letting the upstairs portion, you know, kind of have their way. While I'm like, just patiently <laughs> nice, being quiet. So I'm gonna read a couple of these um, chapter titles because they're awesome. So, doesn't Christianity crush diversity? Aren't we better off without religion? Uh, doesn't religion cause violence? How can you take the Bible literally? Isn't Christianity homophobic? Doesn't the Bible condone slavery? Like you, you did not shy away from any um, challenging, really, really hard to wrestle with topics. But I'm curious for all the the chapters in, in this book, which one, and you may have already kind of alluded or hinted towards this, but which one was personally hardest or has been hardest for you to wrestle through? Mm, yeah. Very easy answer to that question. And I felt it acutely when I was writing the junior version. And that yeah. is the last one, which is how can a loving God send people to hell? Yeah. And the, the reason for that, I think all other questions actually pale in comparison to that. I, I remember even when I was sort of 12 or 13 years old and, and talking with friends about Jesus in a, a sort of highly secular academic school environment. And I kind of thought, gosh, my friends think that the most offensive thing about Christianity is that it, it insists on, on these sort of bizarre Christian sexual ethics um, that say that sex is only to happen in, in male-female marriage. That's not the most offensive thing about Christianity at all. The no. really offensive thing about Christianity is that all of us are headed to hell and the only hope we have of escaping that terrible fate of God's judgment against our sin is hiding ourselves in Jesus Christ. That is far more offensive than anything anyone has ever said about sexual ethics or any. I mean, it's far more offensive. And I think it's something that is is inescapable as you read the Bible. And, and if you just read, I mean, people sometimes talk about having like a red letter Bible where they only read the words of Jesus. And in people's minds, this this gets you off all sorts of hooks. You know, it makes it gets you off the hook of really worrying about sexual ethics, and it gets you off the hook of, of really worrying about judgment and and these mm. sort of hard, scary Christian doctrines. It doesn't. When I sit down and read the Gospels and I read Jesus's own words, it's terrifying how much he talks about God's judgment. Now he is absolutely dripping with grace and mercy and forgiveness, and that is true. People sometimes sort of say, well, you know, Jesus, the Old Testament was all about God's wrath and and judgment. And then great news, Jesus comes along and suddenly it's all mercy and forgiveness. Well, yes. And I mean, actually, no and no. (laughs) There's there's a lot of mercy and forgiveness in the Old Testament. 
But if we read the words of Jesus and his warnings against of, of God's judgment, it's it's truly sobering mm. and frankly terrifying. If we read the Sermon on the Mount and, and the, the ethics that Jesus calls us to, he doesn't loosen up Old Testament sexual ethics. He tightens it up. Yeah. He, he doesn't loosen up. In no respect does Jesus ask less of us morally. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he sets a standard that none of us can even remotely reach. I think of I have a two-year-old son who, who is really interested in basketball. And every couple of days, we'll, we'll go to the local park and he'll take his little basketball and he'll try and throw it into this man-sized hoop. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart. He try, like he, Every time he thinks he's going to do it, he's not even like, it's not even a question. Is he going to get it in the hoop? He hasn't a chance, not even the slightest help, hope in hell, frankly, of getting it in. And that's how we are morally before God. And, and yet, I think we have often mistaught or, or let people um, have misleading ideas about God's judgment because we haven't told them enough about Jesus. Mm. And so we've let them think, well, Christians believe that if you sort of randomly assent to a set of ideas about this first century man who supposedly died on a cross and was raised to life again then you get to go to a good place and if you don't then god arbitrarily punishes you in a bad place Hmm. what we don't realize is that jesus is the good place and being loved by jesus embraced in his arms is all goodness and being rejected by jesus is the most horrifying thing any of us could possibly imagine. And we see that, you know, in Jesus's own words, if he is, if he is the light of the world then being without him means living in darkness. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he is the bread of life, then being without him means starving. If he is the way, the truth and the life then being without him means being utterly lost. If he is the mm-hmm. resurrection and the life, then being without him means being completely eternally dead. And, and so I find hell very hard to write about and to talk about. I wish that that wasn't, I mean, honestly, truly, I wish that that wasn't what the Bible taught. But I think that it is, and I think there is a profound logic to it, that if our only hope is to run to Jesus. Rebecca, I wondered if you had time for one one more, one last one. Like, it kind of, there's, as you've been talking, there's like just an idea that's been going around in my head I feel might help some conclusion in some of it. Do you have time for one more? Sure. Great, great. So, see, you've written a book that, would probably be classed as apologetics or kind of defending the faith in some, you know, in some ways. And I think on one hand, I see in our secular age, or at least in, as you've pointed out, in our particular culture and Western society, that's become an issue that as a church we've had to engage in and defend our faith from a rational perspective, um, moving from like from the 70s, Francis Schaeffer, it was cultural apologetics and you've been doing that too. It's like kind of looking at worldview and how strong the Christian worldview is. You've said that a few times in this conversation, how powerful the Christian worldview is in in, um, in comparison. But I've also wondered whether, is there a pitfall there? Is there a danger that we go too far or that we focus on that so much that we hang our faith on rationality rules and on the best worldview? And, and yet a lot of what you've said today actually is... The strongest defense, if you like, is is kingdom values being demonstrated, repentance from 
you know, <laughs> Christianity falling away from what it truly is, uh, turning back to the Bible and looking again at what it really says and how it really engages with the issues around us. And is that, is, is that maybe that's a different approach to it? I'm just wondering here because there's been a lot of that and it's increased and grown and we've probably got better at it, I think, as a church at good apologetics, you know, the rational arguments. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Like, uh, is it, can we go too far with that? Is it should we not focus on the resurrected Jesus? How how do we deal with this? Jesus, you recall, calls us to love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Hmm. And I think He asks all of those things of us at once. Uh, I think often, it, it, at least in the last century or so in America, just to focus in in one place because it, it different. Each culture and each, each kind of Christian culture is going to have its different challenges. Um, we've often bought into a, a kind of anti-intellectual view of Christianity, mm-hmm. which says that um, you know, universities are kind of suspect, honestly, <laughs> and that really that the gospel is simple. And so we shouldn't sort of waste our time writing big books or reading big books or engaging with big ideas or, or, or sort of truly talking in terms, uh, in sort of intellectual terms. Um, and I, I think one of the things that needs to happen now is for us to, to reclaim the whole intellectual realm, which actually, I mean, if you look back, the first universities in, in Europe were founded actually by Christians specifically to bring glory to God. And that's true of many of the leading universities in, in America as well. So it's, not, it's, it's a homecoming. It's not a kind of a strange new departure. But, but at the same time as we do that, at the same time as we, we call people to, to love God with their mind and as we engage people at that level, we also, as you say, in, if, we, if we're going to be reading our Bibles authentically, we can't separate out a, an intellectual engagement from a moral engagement. We can't, we actually also can't separate out a like truly sort of gospel-oriented, Jesus-focused approach from caring for the poor and the weak and the oppressed. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't give us a sort of menu, you know, which selects like two or three options from this longer menu of, of 10 items. Actually, we're called to all of these things at once. And, and, and I think it's been interesting, again, sort of reading some of the work of, of modern psychologists who, who would say that um, we think we tend to think of ourselves as primarily rational creatures. We will usually evaluate things on the basis of rational argument. When in fact, far more emotional and sort of socially programmed than we think and the comparison sometimes made it's like it's like a rider on an elephant that our rational self is like the little sort of human rider sitting on this massive elephant of our emotional and social self and so I think when we're engaging with with, um, friends who are not Christians we absolutely need to talk to the elephant and not just because it's a smart thing to do but because the bible forces us to to engage with with the elephant but I don't think that means ignoring the rider And I think what's been interesting in in the last decade or so in particular is seeing how many of the most important sort of intellectual apologetic arguments right now are also ones with major moral dimensions. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps that's one kind of honestly helpful forcing factor for us to hold those two things together and say we we need to be all about the mind and all about the heart. Mm -hmm. We need to be following um, Jesus with with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we need to be giving, uh, we need to be speaking the truth in love. Both of those things need to be kind of coming loudly out of us at once. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, I heard you say somewhere else, and I, again, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but you are an evangelist for evangelism that, that we need to share. Like we, we need to re-enter the marketplace and have our seat at the table. And you're really doing that in a, in a very powerful and winsome way. And so it's very encouraging to observe and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm always, um, inspired by the, the breadth of the, the body of Christ. And, and we need people who God have given unique cognitive abilities too. I think it's amazing to watch what you're doing. And, and I, I pray that God uses you even more powerfully in the future. Um, it looks like, uh, the best place to find everything I'd imagine is on your, your, uh, website named after your namesake from what I see. So Rebecca, Rebecca Is that correct? Would that be the best place to send people? Yes. Uh, full disclosure, I haven't updated it in the last few months. So there's, I, I've got like three forthcoming books that are not yet on that website. Okay. Uh, but you can subscribe there. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at, I think, Rebecca McLaughlin. Okay. Well, look, if I had, if I had a picture of speaking with Tim Keller, it'd probably be one of the main pictures I have <laughs> scrolling through my front as well. If that's not Tim Keller and it's some other it is in fact, Tim careless Keller. man. Okay. Okay. Good. Yes. Uh, yeah, that is, that's great. That, that should say everything you need to know. Uh, but yes, confronting Christianity, get it, read it, uh, and use it because I think it's a powerful tool. Is that a cat? Why do you have a cat on your homepage? People were sending me photos of, of confronting Christianity in the wild. And a friend of mine who passes a church in Malawi sent me ones with cool animals there. And then someone I think was in either Canada or some part of the US, and she sent me a photo of uh, her, her reading on her Kindle, Confronting Christianity, whilst a bear. So that wasn't a cat. That was a bear. It was a bear, not a cat. And to be clear, you di- you didn't just say that Canada is a part of the U.S., did you? I just, you know, we, 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 we tend to disparage Canada a lot, but... If I said that, then I repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> no, honestly, I think it was more of a, like a, a verbal grammar thing. There was probably a comma in there that would have separated that, but I latched onto it just as a way to jab at our, the, you know, the northern hat of America. Hey, yeah. Rebecca, I have a suggestion. I saw on your website, there's like a, there's an interview video there, like a YouTube video of you being interviewed by somebody. I think that after today, you should put our video in, in place of <laughs> that one. Done. Have an update in uh, There you go. Now Add it to chance. the list of, of web, yeah. Yeah, web updates, web yeah. tweaks. Am I, uh, am I allowed to ask the... The question from Nigel or Yeah, not? I think you probably should. Nigel. All right, so Rebecca, I got a text from a guy named R- Nigel. He said that he's read all of your books. All all one of her books, yes. And he's, uh, <laughs> he also has watched all of your interviews on YouTube and all that kind of thing. And he wants to know if it's okay if I ask you a question. Sure. Okay. Uh, he wants to know what you think of the R-L-U-I- No, 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 no. no. L- you got it wrong. L- oh, he got it wrong. R- R-L-I-U-A initiative. Don't worry, Becca. Nobody knows what it is. Don't, don't I don't know confused. what you're talking about. Well, it's it's release lions into urban areas. Um, Nigel feels like people don't ask the big questions, and so let's say you're out, you know, on a, you're walking with your husband in the park, you know, in the city, and then you're going, "What happened to Billy?" Well, a lion got him. You see, it would make going out for dinner a lot more interesting because there'd always be the chance that you would make it. It would make people ask the deeper questions of life and it would bring nature back into the city. So it would be, it would be contributing to, to world peace, if you, if you will. So would you support this? Here's my answer to Nigel. I have two daughters and one son and my son's name is Luke. 
Lucas two name. and a half, and I would not fancy a Lions' chances against him. <laughs> he was an absolute roughing. Like, was it Samson who like twisted the? Right. Am I making that? <laughs> like, doing a drink method? No, no, that's true. No, that's there true. was that's absolute twisting against the lion. Yeah. yeah. And came in and he tried to. He just killed yeah. it, right? That's yeah. right. <laughs> yes, he did. Your biblical knowledge is accurate. So you so you then you support this initiative and you, and you'll talk about it next time you're with uh, with Timothy Keller. <laughs> we actually asked Timothy Keller that, and he yeah, had equally we asked him response. about about the the lion and and Nigel. How was I confused, Ben? I was very clear. I just said I put my boy against your lion any day. You're right. <laughs> I I, re- I apologize. Ooh, yeah, whoa, ooh, that's the yeah, best. You were, that's, she was not confused. And if you ben. say otherwise, you are lying. <laughs> All right, you're getting into this way too much. It's freaking me out. Uh, but look, <laughs> Rebecca, this was awesome. You yeah. are inspiring. Thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this comes out in a few days. Uh, we'll we'll send links. We'll distribute it everywhere. What we do now is we hit this really cool intro. And then if you liked outro, us- Outro. We already did the intro like an hour ago. Okay, outro. If you like us, you typically can stick around. We can say goodbye offline. If you don't, if it was terrible, you can just bail now and you'll never have to talk to us ever again. So it's up just to you. Just you, Rebecca, no not all of our listeners. Just, just No, you, listeners, you, you we're going to boot you as soon as I push the red button. That's it. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. To listen to past episodes, search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. See you next time.